again, my friends. This is astrologer DK Brainerd, and you're listening to the Stars for the People podcast for the week of July 12, 2010, here on EmpowerRadio.com, empowering you. I'd like to talk with you today about the sign of cancer, about nurturing, what it means to nurture and be nurtured, and about the nature of time. So, as you know, if you've been listening to the podcast, um, following the weekly horoscopes over at wordsforthepeople.com, we just had a major uh, total solar eclipse in the sign of Cancer on Sunday, July 11th. And this solar eclipse really taps into the chart for the United States of America, which has been you know, the de facto world power um, for most of the last 200 years. And... Solar eclipses are always about a change in identity in some sense. Um, you know, the sun is, the sun represents, in any given chart, the sun represents sort of the engine of that chart. And uh, who we are or who the situation or event is on an energy level. And so when we have a solar eclipse, we have the seeds of some new cycle of identity being planted. And we've talked about that quite a bit in uh, the recent podcasts and also in some of the blog posts over at Words for the People. I'd like to talk specifically this week about um, cancer energy. And, you know, this is something that I, I often tell my clients who are cancer sun signs. And so ultimately, I guess what I hope to do with this podcast is uh, sort of give away all my trade secrets. And, you know, if you listen to enough of these podcasts, you won't have to come and get a personal reading from me. Although, I think that getting a reading can be very helpful in times like this. And uh, In fact, my fiancé and I just got a reading for ourselves this week, and I always find it helpful to, you know, sort of sometimes be feel validated by hearing what's going on inside me, specifically parts of what's going on inside me that my ego might be resisting that's coming from a spiritually grounded source that I trust. So, um... I do want to talk about cancer and about nurturing, and then I also want to talk about psychological time, linear time, clock time, and how that relates to cancer energy, how that relates to nurturing, and how that relates to what I feel like is this amazing, massive transformation that we're going through as a species, or that we're being given the opportunity to go through. And in order to make this shift, we're going to have to make some major shifts in the way we deal with the concept of time. So, as usual, with my Mercury and Aquarius, uh, Mercury thinking, Aquarius, the sign of the universal, I will uh, start with a personal anecdote and then relate it out to what feels like a universal application, which is that uh, as I record this, I've just taken my second nap of the day. Uh, I blew off a a class that I really enjoy that I paid a lot of money to go to because I woke up this morning and I just didn't have the juice and I had too many deadlines and something was going to have to give because I didn't feel like with a constantly crying baby um, I could manage to pull another all-nighter this week. And, um, And so instead I just took the time and my fiance had a party that she had wanted to go to and she was planning on taking the baby anyway and I took the time and I I 
took a nap and then you know I meditated I went to my safe place and and had my guides do some healing work on me uh, that's very nurturing for me and then I got up for a little bit and ate some lunch and planned on going back to work um, and instead I lay down and took another nap and did some more meditating and went and visited with a different one of my guides who also did some healing work on me so the sign of cancer in the zodiac is and as you know each of the signs is what Richard Tarnas calls um, multivalent so each of the signs represents an archetypal construct or constellation that has many values and, and many possible interpretations but the way I see the sign of cancer is that at its root it it's about what it means to feel safe and what it means to feel nurtured and to feel like we have enough so you know that that incorporates um, our emotions specifically the emotional patterns that we learned from mother and that we learned in our family of origin that you know what the emotions that we experienced in our um, early childhood and it also relates to food it relates to um, connecting with one another empathetically what that feels like being whether we feel safe to open ourselves emotionally to your partner to your spouse to your roommates to the people that you spend time with at work you know to your brothers and sisters your mom and dad um, and one of the things that I tell my clients in cancer is that no matter what else is going on in this lifetime for cancer natives one of the key questions is always going to be do you know how to nurture yourself and understanding the difference between nurturing and caretaking or nurturing and addiction for example is always going to be a key um, calculus for or emotional calculus for people who are born under the sign of cancer so guess what the United States was born under the sign of cancer so as a nation that also expands out to include all of us you know and right now if we look around I think we could say without a whole lot of hesitation that we're not doing a very good job of nurturing ourselves um, you know I, I a few years ago when I recorded the last album I recorded before I went into sort of semi musical retirement and the, on the liner notes I, I had some statistics about um, prescription drug usage in America and I don't remember the figures but there was some staggering like 200 million prescriptions for narcotics and or um, antidepressants dispensed in the United States every year you know and, and I would no doubt it's grown since then I mean that was uh, that was eight years ago that I released that album and and you know that was before the age of ubiquitous drug company advertising sort of on on every TV channel all the time right but you know if you look at the levels of obesity um, of alcoholism of workaholism which um, since I'm a recovering alcoholic I feel like maybe workaholism is, is sort of where I've shifted a lot of that addiction energy and I was just I was writing this morning about feeling guilty and and um, in my recovery process I went to a couple adult children of alcoholics ACOA meetings and um, honestly if Daryl if Daryl if you're out there listening to this you'll get a kick out of this because uh, my friend Daryl and I talked about this we went to the same meeting and I won't disclose the location but we both felt sort of like a fly who'd wandered into a Venus flytrap like there were these 
thirsty, emotionally thirsty, codependent people just begging for us to come and stay with them. Anyway, I'm a big fan of the 12-step process, and um, you know, I got what I needed in, in different meetings. But one of the things that I did learn from that that was really powerful is um, they have this ACOA Bill of Rights that has all of these things that you know most of us, many of us, never get taught. And, and one of them was, you're probably not guilty. But we we all act as if we're guilty, and, and I believe that that's an ego program because the ego does feel guilty since it has separated itself from the, the, from the divine and is you know using up all of our energy trying to convince our, ourselves that we are separate from the divine so that it can perpetuate you know its lonely problem solving um, warfare, warlike, isolated, unhappy existence because that's where it's at and you look around at who we are as a nation and we don't know how to nurture ourselves we don't know what it means to um, take time out and to care for ourselves so most of us don't know um, what is appropriate self-care and if we listen to ourselves you know and I have to say I'm not um, I'm sure sure not all the way there on this one yet but five years ago, you know, if, um, five years ago I would have done something like jump in and basically demand that my fiance leave the baby at home with me so she could go to this graduation party and see her friends, you know, or or I would have forced myself to keep working on my deadlines or I would have forced myself to go to this class, which I wanted to go to. And I regret, you know, I regret missing it. Um, but I would have forced myself to go because I paid good money for it, you know, and I have to get my money's worth. And I feel like one of the big shifts that we're being invited to make by this global transition that we're going through that I've sometimes taken to calling the great transition in capitals, because I really believe that it is that, um, or that at, le- at least it's the opportunity for us to make that great transition. And if there's one super key factor that I have no idea how this is going to play out, but it's that we are being invited to change the way we perceive time and linear time or psychological time or clock time is just a construct that at some point hundreds of years ago, thousands of years ago, we agreed upon, um, you know, John Frawley, the, the traditional astrologer, the horary astrologer, makes a point um, in his uh, late great magazine, The Astrologer's Apprentice. And I think he's still giving away um, a, f- a couple of introductory issues on at johnfrawley.com. So if you're into horary astrology or traditional astrology, he's a wickedly funny writer. Um, but he has this great essay in one of his Astrologer's Apprentice issues about Uh, the nature of time and about how what astrology is is the study of time and how in the bizarrely named period of the enlightenment which you know we could argue is pretty much where humanity switched over from some kind of whole mind processing perhaps even um, historically overbalanced in the creative right brain you know so in the right brain extreme right brain with very little left brain analytical input we live totally in the dream time in a world of monsters and angels and demons and, you know, where um, 
superstition and, and where magic actually works. So, you know, maybe there are good and bad things to be said for that. But for all he's taken, I think it makes sense is that around about the Enlightenment, we made this switch to, you know, this hardcore switch over to the left brain and exalting the analytical process of the left brain and really sort of ignoring the right brain. And the way he thinks about this is in our conception of time, which is that before the Enlightenment, you know, we operated in the West in in this system where astrology was a major component of what we did. You know, you would no sooner go to a doctor who was not an astrologer or who wasn't working with an astrologer, um, you know, then you just sort of hack your own leg off be, because it was understood that if you treat an illness at the moment in time where, or one of the moments in time, where the universal forces are, are on your side for healing, then you'll probably get well. But if you try to treat it at a moment where the forces are, are against healing, you know, good luck to you. And so with the Enlightenment, what we switched over is to this um, division of time into these arbitrary units, you know, days or hours, minutes, seconds, rather than um, pre-Enlightenment, each day was divided into 12 equal units, each one of which was ruled by a planet. So in the summer, you had 12 hours in a day, you know, and 12 hours at night. And they were of a uniform length, but they were based on the proportion of the, of the time of the, the year that you're at. So in the winter, you'd have 12 hours in the day, and they would be much shorter, right? And what this made possible is uh, mechaniz the mechanization of life. You know, the factory culture, which nowadays is the nine to five culture. And it killed human creativity. And it also imprisoned us in this artificial system where most of us don't get what we need most of the time. You know, here in the West, we live in this um, overabundance of materialism. So we get all the potato chips we need and we get all the ice cream we need. And I love potato chips and ice cream. We get all the television programming we need, you know. And now with TiVo and DVR, we can even um, we can even you know build a new schedule around watching our favorite programs rather than having to watch them in a, a factory slash regimented kind of way. But most of us don't get what we really need, which is love, which is creativity, which is contact with the earth which is meaningful connection empathetically to one another, you know, which is an experience of eating cancer again, cancer energy, um, that happens in a slow, thoughtful, rhythmic kind of way, you know, that happens in a way that it's actually nurturing to us rather than we're wolfing down, wolfing down the meal, you know, in order to get to our next appointment or because we get a half hour for lunch at work or because, you know, because we work these highly regimented um, schedules, that that's all the time we have to eat, you know, and we have to get on to the next thing. And so what I feel like w this is a big change, and it's not going to happen overnight, but one of the things that we need to open ourselves to is how can we start to cultivate a new experience of time? Because the pollution that we're kicking out in the world and, you know, the war, the sadness, the deprivation, the poverty, so much of that comes from being trapped in this very Saturnian 
Um, you know, so Saturn being the ruler of Capricorn, the opposite sign of Cancer, this very Saturnian um, mechanized grid, this linear progression of time from one uniform moment to the next uniform moment. And really, if you think about it, it is impossible to be nurtured in that environment for most of us. So if you are a slave to the nine to five, you know, or maybe you work two jobs to get by. So you're a slave to the nine to five and then you're a slave to the six to midnight as well. Um, or if you have kids, you know, so with Jenny and I, I mean, I feel like in some ways we're raising our, our child in the most stupid way possible, you know, but we're doing what you do in the United States of America, which is you do it by yourself, you know, because you live in your little box and the other people live in their little boxes. And, um, you know, one of the things we're definitely open to and, and, um, visualizing and praying for is, Hey, let's meet some people that, you know, also have young babies that we can kind of team up with and, and do this with. But whatever our circumstances are, if we're trapped in that linear model, you know, the chances are probably 99% that we're not getting what we need and we're not nurturing ourselves. We're not taking care of ourselves. You know, certain times of the year, we need to be outside soaking up the sunshine or, you know, in the depth of winter, rather than getting up in the darkness and defrosting the car and going to a job that is meaningless for most of us. We need to be sleeping in and cocooning ourselves and dreaming, you know, and in the summer we need to be taking days off and going swimming and picking berries. And it seems so simple. And yet we've been so brainwashed to believe that linear time is the only model of time. And the fact is, you know, and we, this would be a starting point for a revolution that actually has meaning and actually has dignity for not only human beings, but for the other species that, you know, we habitually oppress, poison, and obliterate in our, in, in our enslavement to this arbitrary model. This would be a meaningful starting point for a revolution, which is let's start entertaining the notion of what happens if we start playing with time and what would happen if we open ourselves to going back to a more rhythmic, cyclical, magical way of living in the universe. You know, I'd like to give you, um, I'd like to give us all a one size fits all kind of cure for this. And I'm actually working on a program that I'm so excited about, um, that, that, that addresses this more or less directly. Um, but what we're talking about here really is that this change has to come from inside of you and it has to come from inside of me. And it's not something that can be, you know, I, I, I love, um, Jose Arguez, who, who is one of the, the big popularizers of the 2012 date, um, starting years and years and years ago and has been on this one man crusade for, um, I want to say 30 years to get the world to adopt a new calendar that's based on the Mayan um, methods of timekeeping, which are very rhythmic and, and um, very beautiful and poetic, you know. And I don't think that, it, you know, it's kind of like the metric system. I don't think that even if President Obama came out today, well, especially not Obama, um, you know, or Bush, because the, the American um, electorate seems to be so polarized right now. 
as if those two really represented anything that different. Um, and that's as far as I'll say on that. But, you know, even if President Obama came out tomorrow and said, okay, we're dropping the Gregorian calendar or the Julian calendar, whichever we're on, and um, we're replacing it with the Mayan uh, day count, you know, and so we're going to have this very poetic system of timekeeping and and rather than y'all having to go to work nine to five every Monday through Friday, you know, we're going to work when it's propitious for working. And then when the time is for napping, we'll nap. And, and when it's time to um, go out and be in nature, we'll be in nature. You know, it's the, it's not the kind of thing where a top down solution is going to work. And when we're faced with oh, well, there's this huge sweeping problem that we're dealing with, you know, pollution of the world's resources, um, the end of this um, greed-based materialistic system of life that threatens to leave so many people out of work and out of homes and impoverished and sick and scared, you know. And and then we think, well, how is me learning how to nurture myself going to change that? And I think the truth is that that's the only way that it's going to change is by each one of us starting to experiment with this and starting to learn how to do it and then connecting with each other intentionally and sharing our experience, strength, and hope, as they say in um, recovery. So I wish I could give you you know, a uh, one-size-fits-all prescription, but I am going to encourage you to, to experiment while we still have the sun in, in the sign of cancer this week you know, which is the sign of nurturing, um, I want to encourage you to experiment with that. And as one of my teachers, um, Marianne Brennan Russell, told me, you know, nurturing always starts with one simple question, which is, how do I feel about this? You know, so how do I feel about what I've scheduled for myself today? How do I feel about these deadlines that I'm telling myself are so important that I have to blow off my health or I have to blow off my kids or I have to blow off my family in order to get them done. How do I feel about what I'm about to do with my time and with my energy or with my lack of energy? You know, and if we ask ourselves that and we really drop into our center, into our heart, into our gut and feel what's in there, we'll know the answer to that. And if we all made that a practice and a priority to start checking in with ourselves like that, the world would change very rapidly. And, um, you know, that's my hope. That's my hope. So I hope you found this useful and inspiring. Until next week, this is astrologer D.K. Brainerd saying, may you go with the stars. I've seen the best minds of my generation to take their medication Your electroshocks Your chemical pills mm, Ain't gonna cure what ails us And I've seen the best minds of my generation Washing windows at the service station Guess if the 